The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. In an interview this morning, Congresswoman Karen Bass, the chair of the Black Congressional Caucus, said that she's thrilled with the progress Congress is making on enacting new police reform legislation. When before, she asked, have we ever brought a major piece of legislation to the floor in just about one month? Well, I agree with Ms. Bass. When Congress does anything in a month, it is noteworthy. But three bills reaching their first vote in a month, well, now that's remarkable. So you see, there's a House Democratic bill, and there's a Senate Democratic bill, and there's a Senate Republican bill. And all three of them have had votes, and only the House Democratic bill got passed with a majority. So that's the end of the encouraging Washington news on genuine police reform. The video recording of the death of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police was a shock to the American body politic. But it was just the first shock because it was followed by a flood of video and TV reporting of way too many people of color, too many people of anything, brutalized and dead while in police custody. The American people want police officers. They want professionals, not brutal vigilantes. And they are demanding that change must come quickly. The issue of police reform is therefore way too urgent to allow the check and checkmate process Congress thrives on to delay initiating important reform efforts. Not to mention that writing the regulations to enforce any new congressional action could take years. In a situation that requires immediate remediation plus long-term reform and restructuring. The American people want something done quickly. Well, if you want something done quickly, the last place that's gonna happen is in Congress. You're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. And the Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution is very clear. Any power not specifically given to the federal government by the Constitution belongs to the states and their localities and to the people. And you know what? The Constitution has no domestic policing power in it whatsoever, except for the first Congress creating the Department of Justice, which today houses the FBI and the U.S. Marshal Service, uh, and they are, in fact, law enforcement agencies. They are investigative bodies first, though. But because policing has always been a local matter, there's no single model of policing. Yeah, so it's hard to create one single 80% common solution to a problem which has so much variety in it. 
in its application because jurisdictions vary. The history of areas vary. For example, the term cop comes from the copper buttons on the uniforms of Irish immigrant policemen in post-Civil War New York, which was a pretty notorious place. They were not kind and gentle. Populations are different as well. And sometimes all that jurisdiction and history and population, etc., Maybe it means it's a small sheriff's department that's patrolling a really large rural area. Or sometimes in the big city, it's men and women in blue that we typically associate with policing. And sometimes it's a hybrid model like the Texas Rangers and how they relate to police departments in, let's say, Dallas or Houston. How are they integrated? All those are different, but there is a common problem. Police today are asked to do too much, much more than just to maintain the peace. And that requires more manpower, meaning bigger budgets. And the skills that are not taught, and it requires skills that are not taught in police officer standard training. Even in the biggest and best departments, they don't give you enough empathy. They don't teach empathy. And we've talked in previous podcasts about some of the really positive ideas that have come out of the recent urgent push to reform policing in the United States. And while there are some common themes, local jurisdictions are choosing different paths of reform, but none are standing still waiting for Congress to act. You know, we've heard ideas like hiring non-police professionals to deal with social service activities that are now too often delegated to the police. You know, that's a very common theme among the ideas around reform. For example, in Oakland, California last night, they um, voted to disband their school police because school resource officers should protect children, not police them. Social workers really are better equipped to deal with situations that involve domestic abuse or child abuse. And mental health specialists could certainly do a much better job working with drug addiction and homelessness. But let's not be Pollyanna here. Those unarmed experts are still gonna need a police escort an escort who remains in the background unless needed to protect both the citizen and the public and, and the public servant. The goal would, should be to change conditions on the ground so that the escort over a period of time is no longer needed. But that goal of a unarmed civilian without a police escort answering some of these complex calls, that's years away. That's years away in a whole lot of cities and towns because there's just too much suspicion between public servants and communities, especially communities of color, in way too many large and medium-sized cities. Not to mention, if you're a social worker thinking about going into a domestic abuse situation, there are way too many unregistered, unlawful, but in the house, guns, 
all over this country. I mean, we are a nation awash in guns. So unarmed people would be put at great risk. And those are long-term issues that need to be, as a part of this kind of reform, addressed. Other practical changes are happening with astonishing speed. Of course, they're following the exposure of so much unacceptable police behavior across the country that speed is more than um, nice to have. It's necessary right now. More police chiefs are being held accountable by mayors and others for the behavior of their officers, both the past behavior and the present behavior. Chiefs themselves are acting swiftly to deal with discipline issues within the ranks. Issues that have far too often in the past been swept under the rug because dealing with the police unions when you want to discipline an officer has just been too hard, too difficult, and too cumbersome and too frustrating because usually the chiefs don't win. That's a problem that will persist until city leaders decide to take a firmer position in negotiations, even if taking that firmer position might mean they don't get a big campaign contribution from the Police Union Political Action Committee. But we are seeing the National Association of Police Chiefs stepping up to help draft legislation at both the local and state levels. Legislation that will finally, once and for all, be not just ban chokeholds, but make the use of one a criminal offense if an officer does it. It's going to make police officer disciplinary records public. New York's already passed that one. They're going to enforce de-escalation procedures. See the note above. They're, going to imp they're imposing both a duty to act and a duty to report on every officer in every situation, and that relates to the situation recently in Atlanta, Georgia, where a person was um, shot uh, in, in what should have been a very routine DUI stop. The local, local authorities are now requiring body cameras to be turned on as a part of the duty to report. And supporting, and, and chiefs are now supporting criminal charges against officers who step over the line between what is necessary force to maintain the peace and enforce law and what becomes criminal or vigilante behavior. You know, funny thing is, but those reforms that are already now happening in cities and towns across America are way more than the reforms that are contained in the House and Senate bills with various levels of compulsion attached. Do we really need a national ban on chokeholds? If we do, that should be as non-controversial as milk on your cereal. And it should require not more than a one-page bill that says using a chokehold is illegal and here is the penalty in addition to whatever state charges the officer might face. Here is the federal tacked on penalty if you do it. One, 
I'm not sure given state actions already that that piece is necessary, but it shouldn't take more than one bill and there shouldn't be a lot of controversy, or one page rather, and there shouldn't be a lot of controversy. The second thing they want to do is track police misconduct. Well, you know, I think that's a great idea and so do the chiefs of police all over the country. The Democrats want to create a national registry of police discipline. The Republicans are suggesting maybe the states who actually have jurisdiction over their police should be the ones to create and maintain the registries. And if you look at the current examples of federal mismanagement of data, you know, background checks for firearm licensing, they have all the wrong data. They have the data that makes people look innocent when in fact they have criminal records and the reverse. Just this week, the Government Accountability Office released their first report concerning the uh, rapid stimulus in the COVID-19 situation, and they found that $1.4 billion, with a B, $1.4 billion in federal stimulus checks, that's $1,200 a piece, right, were sent to dead people. So given those two examples, I would suggest that perhaps the states should prove that they can or cannot police themselves before the feds step in and create another federal bureaucracy that costs millions of dollars to maintain and probably has inappropriate data in it. And that those millions of dollars to create that federal bureaucracy to, to manage this registry, those are dollars that will not be going to local communities to fund reform initiatives. No, they'll be staying in Washington to fund bureaucrats. The third thing both of these, all three of these acts want to do is talk about amending the federal civil rights laws. Those laws exist. The violation of a custodial, uh, a person in custody's civil rights is already on the books and, and frequently is punished uh, by the federal courts and will be in the George Floyd case, for example. And there are also laws that require, that allow the FBI to impose uh, discipline on police departments that have a pattern, that have a demonstrated pattern of discriminatory policing. Those those already exist, and they, they were used in the Bush administration, and they were used in the Obama administration, and all of those were reversed by the Trump administration. Amending the federal law, why don't we use the ones we have and see what we need in terms of new law after we fully implement the existing legislation? And another thing that everybody wants to talk about is changing the so-called qualified immunity laws. In other words, um, there are laws in this country that basically say that if the government does you wrong as an individual, you cannot sue the government. Um, they are not liable. Now, in most of these police um, and matters, these, you know, over-policing situations and these unfortunate deaths. Cities do pay families rewards, but the police officer 
whether he's criminally charged or not, has this immunity. You can't go after him, pers- him or her personally. And they would like to change that law. Um, again, you know, I think that could be done and it shouldn't be very complicated. But if you're going to say there is no qualified immunity, there should be some monetary um, um, limits placed on this whole thing because there's a whole cadre of lawyers right now who take advantage of these poor, bereaved people and the lawyers are getting rich. If you're going to have, you're going to get rid of qualified immunity, which I personally would support, you need to be sure that the beneficiaries are not lawyers. Oh, I forgot. Lawyers contribute to Congress people's re-election campaigns. And last, the new legislation proposes to end no-knock warrants in drug searches. Now, I know that would make Breonna Taylor's family and friends feel really much better in Louisville, Kentucky. They would see her death maybe a teeny tiny bit less senseless, but how are you going to enforce whether or not the Congress, the individual police officer knocked uh, and how hard he knocked when initiating a warranted search. Now, this is a search with a warrant. And so I'm thinking, how are you going to enforce that without a major expansion, expansion of federal bureaucratic enforcement organization, something like an Uber super internal affairs to investigate the police investigation unit within the FBI. And if that sentence left your eyes rolling, it should. That was purposeful because that's about what it would be. All that said, I think we just got to get clear. This is an election year. And if that weren't enough, there's a global pandemic happening. And the U.S. is leading the world in the number of reported cases, to which we must add a global recession caused at least in part by the pandemic. You got to think about congressional priorities, because nothing in this proposed legislation is going to save lives in the foreseeable future. Some of the things that local and state Um, and the National Federation of Police Chiefs are doing are going to save lives in the foreseeable future. So what's happening in Congress? Well, a lot of sound and fury signifying somewhere between very little and nothing. But the commercials for their re-election campaigns, they just about write themselves. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com 
or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.